Hey, everybody. Welcome to Line by Line. I'm Pastor Josh Hawkins. It's always great to be with you, and I'm excited that we get to go into our lovely um, first, Second Corinthians. <laughs> uh Chapter 9 today for a second. Okay, never mind. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 9 today. And so um, it's going to be good, and I hope that uh, you will enjoy it as much as I know I will. So let's pray, and then we will get moving. Beautiful Heavenly Father, I just thank you once again for your kindness, your mercy, and your love. But I pray that as we embark on a new chapter in this book. And as we continue to talk about your generosity and what it looks like for us to live a lifestyle of generosity in your word, Lord, I pray that um, that uh, you would give us faith to live out the lifestyle you've called us to live, to do the things that you've called us to do, and to walk in, 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 in the fullness of, of this partnership, this dance that you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Okay, so uh, let's um, let's uh, let's go to the text, shall we? This is first, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, starting with verse 1. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians. Tell them that since last year, you in Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove to be hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift and not as one begrudgingly given. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. 
This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God because of the service by which you have proved yourselves. Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Okay, I genuinely do not think we're going to get that far <laughs> tonight. There's so much to unpack here. Um, but, uh, but you know, who knows? We'll see. We'll see. So I wanted to read the whole chapter. Um, my chair is rubbing against the back wall and it's kind of bugging me. Um, so uh, anyway, um, we are still, as a recap, last week we talked about uh, the, the, the gift that was being gathered together from the churches all across the world uh, to go to Jerusalem to help the saints there in the midst of a famine. And we talked about how uh, Corinth had already heard about this and they were excited about it and uh, and had already told Paul that they wanted to help out in a big way. And then Paul went uh, uh, and they even sent some money right then, what they could do. Uh, but they said, give us some time and we'll pull together even more funds. We'll be even more generous than we have been. And, uh, and we'll send a really generous gift um, when you come back, Paul. Now, remember the whole story. Paul was supposed to come back earlier. He didn't make it back when he thought he was going to. He sent Titus. Titus brought the first letter to the Corinthians, etc., etc. Okay, we've gone over this over and over again. If you've watched any of the of the um, of the other episodes of this book, uh, then you'll know how this is working and what this looks like. Um, but uh, but. Sorry, I'm having an internet thing here. Um, but, um, but, uh, so, uh, so now Paul is encouraging them. And in the last chapter, he's been encouraging them to go ahead and pull that gift together because Titus is coming and Paul wants to come later, uh, to, to, to gather that gift and to send and to take it all back to Jerusalem to make sure that it lands where it belongs. Okay. So that's where we're at. Paul is finishing up that conversation in the first few verses of this chapter. Again, I'm not sure how, I'm really not sure how helpful uh, our chapter and verse um, uh, splits are. I mean, I don't know how else you would do it. It is a work of genius, but at the same time, a lot of times I look at the, at where these chapter breaks are and I think, well, that was a dumb place to put a chapter break, but anyway, um, uh, it is fine. Um, because this is a continued conversation there. And I, I think the real break comes at about verse six, uh, which is kind of where we're going to, we'll, we'll, we'll break some of that out. But he says, there's no need for me to write to you. He's like, I, I know you're already planning on this. I know you're probably already working, but hey, I wanted you to be really prepared because uh, I didn't want you to be embarrassed when we show up expecting to receive a gift from you and it's not ready. 
Uh, you know, we already you told us that you were what you were going to do. And we've told others that that's what you were going to do. Some of them are probably going to come with me when I come to pick it up. And if we were to show up and you weren't ready, that would be really embarrassing. Not necessarily for you, but it, definitely for me, that would be embarrassing. Um, and so Paul's Paul is just making sure they know uh, that, hey, I'm coming and it would be a good thing. If this was if this was ready, uh, I I appreciate Paul and, and the way that he is, you know, honestly communicating expectations with them. Um, sometimes when I read this, I feel fine about it, and sometimes when I read this, I feel a little squirmy. Like I mean, it makes me slightly uncomfortable the way that Paul talks to them, and the way that Paul. Um, uh, lets them know about the expectations that the other church bodies have of them. Uh, it almost feels manipulative to me. I, I'm, um, and it would be hard for me. If I was the one writing this letter, it would be difficult for me uh, to, to write this part. Now, I've already told my church uh, over and over uh, how hard it is for me to ask for money from the church, not because I'm ashamed because I'm not uh, at all, but there is this um, stigma around the church asking for money that I don't like. This idea oh, that all the church ever does is ask for money. That idea uh, really, really bugs me. And I, and I see it. I, I hear it from folks all the time. I hear it from folks constantly uh, that that well, all that you guys want is is for us to give money to you, and that's not true. Um, but it, but it does feel like we kind of play into that when when we start talking about money, and so I've been preaching on money at Fremont Community Church for the last three weeks, and it it was a an uncomfortable thing for me to prepare for that. Um, but it's not been uncomfortable for me to teach it. And I'll tell you why. Because the more I uncover, the more I learn about what the Bible has to say about giving and generosity, the more excited I am. And the, the more I see the heart of the Father in it, and the more that I, I'm not ashamed at all to have this conversation with friends, because this is this is just like all the other things that I would bring to them from God's Word. It's for all of our good. This is an invitation into a way of life that is that that is joyful and healthy and beautiful. And it's and Jesus is inviting us into it, not out of any sense that he has any needs because he doesn't, but that we have needs and and that engaging in a lifestyle of generosity is genuinely good for us that engaging in a gen in a lifestyle of gener generosity and giving an open-handed generous lifestyle uh it is actually just it is very good for our souls it teaches us to trust god more it saves us from the worship of money i'm just like recalling the points of the sermons over the last three weeks. It teaches us to trust God more. It saves us from the worship of money. It frees us from a lifestyle of anxiety. Uh, and, and, and that's just 
some of the things that Paul's even going to talk more in in our time together today, because this is really what this chapter is about. Once we get past this kind of uh, first few verses here where Paul is telling them, I mean, this is why I'm letting you know about this. Uh, there is an expectation in the rest of the church body uh, that that you're going to give a generous gift. And I don't want to be embarrassed and I don't want you to be embarrassed uh, when when we show up to accept that generous gift from you. I, I think that's a really honest conversation between people that love each other. But it is. I mean, as an American, I don't know, as as grown up as I have, where it's almost, you know, taboo to talk about money, uh, uh, it, it makes me a little uncomfortable. This conversation does that Paul's having with him. Uh, I, I don't think he did anything wrong. But even if he did, and this is something I just want to mention as we as we move through. Um. There are there are places in the scripture. Boy, how do I say this? Where we see someone that we admire doing something that we don't admire. Now we don't see that with Jesus at all. Jesus, of course, was perfect he, without sin. But there are places in the scripture. I think, um, for instance, uh, um, in the book of Acts. Okay, so we we. Paul and Silas were at the church in Antioch, and there was this growing fellowship of believers, most of whom were Gentiles. And Paul uh, was was a, a, a key figure in, in, in that community. And Peter comes to Antioch to, to, to encourage them to share the gospel with them even more to you know connect them to the church in Jerusalem so peter chief among the apostles at the time jesus kind of called him to that place um came to re- to bless this body of young believers and while but while he was there he really uh, uh spent more time with the jewish people and was more comfortable with the jewish people Especially when other Jews from Jerusalem came, Paul went or Peter, who had been eating with Gentiles, hanging out with them, but then more Jewish people came from Jerusalem, and Peter stopped hanging out with the Gentiles. He stopped eating with them. Um, he became a much more pious Jew. Right? That's what happened. And uh, and and it, that Paul gets furious about this and confronts Peter to his face and says. This you're screwing you're screwing up here, Peter, and and when we read that, you know, I think of Peter and I think of this great apostle that Jesus called, really to to lead the church in this time, and it's weird for me to think of Peter as a person who would do something not okay, um, but that's the beauty of biblical characters is that when we see them engaging in behavior. Sometimes we see them as examples. Yeah, this is what Peter did. This is what Paul did. This is what other Bible characters did. Um, and and so I should follow their example. And Paul encourages us to follow his example. Follow me as I follow Christ. Um, but we also see them engaged in behavior that's not that, you know what? I shouldn't follow their example in that in this area. 
the one that we follow is Christ. And Paul himself said it. He said in first in the first letter to the Corinthians, he said, he says, Paul wasn't crucified for you, was he? You weren't baptized in the name of Paul. You're not, I don't, you're not following me, you're following Jesus. And um, I think that's really important. So even if I was looking at this part of the text and saying, boy, I'm not sure I would talk to the people that way, that feels almost manipulative. It's okay. That's all right. I'm allowed to look at something Paul did and say, I'm not sure that that was the right thing. We need to be allowed to do that. Um, but I do what I, what I do love about this text is when Paul is kind of reminding them, you know, you made this commitment. Um, these are the kinds of conversations that we should be allowed to have with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, conversations around expectation are really important. If we don't express our expectations of one another clearly, um, then we can't be upset when those expectations aren't met. Uh, and that's what Paul's doing. He's just expressing clearly what his expectation is. His expectation is that they will do what they said they were going to do. Um, and Paul as a leader, and Paul as somebody who was who uh, was a part of what's going on, he has every right to say, hey, you said you would do this, so please follow through in righteousness. I think that's great, and I, I think it's courageous, and I think that's what leadership looks like. And, uh, and, and, and if it makes me uncomfortable, it's because I still need to grow as a leader. Um, there are times when God tells me to say things to the church and even to you uh, to, uh, in this podcast. I mean, I'm not looking at anybody right now. I'm looking at a phone, <laughs> looking at a camera. Um, uh, and so it'd be easier for me to be really bold <laughs> sitting in this chair, maybe not as bold, maybe not as as bold in person than I, as I am here. Um, because I don't have anybody, you know, except for comments that come in online. I don't have anybody, uh, which uh, quick note, I can't see those comments as they come in. You please comment. And I will try and comment if I see them. Uh, and I will definitely comment later after this is over, but it's very difficult for me to see uh, to see your comments as they as they come in, um, and and respond right away. Uh, I just don't want to take that pause in the middle of the teaching time. Um, so feel feel free to comment all you like, and I promise I will respond. But it'll be after the time, um, uh, you know, later. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, the uh, I think this is great. Um, I think we should be able to have very, uh, very honest conversations with each other about expectations. Uh, I, I under, it, understand why those are difficult to have, those conversations, but they're important. If we love one another, then we should be allowed to, uh, to do that uh, with, with each other. Okay, next. Uh, let's go. So the, the, that's verses one through five. Now we're going to dive in. And I love these next few verses are so rich and so good where Paul is going to teach us about giving. Paul's going to teach us about a lifestyle of generosity. So he starts in verse six by saying, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously 
will also reap generously. Okay. Now we're not farmers. Uh, most of us, uh, maybe, maybe if there's a farmer out there, I love you. God bless you. Thank you for what you do. Um, I, I there, sometimes wish that I was a farmer because it would help me understand some of the teachings of Jesus even better, I think. But, um, but uh, Paul is just naming an obvious reality of the world. If you only put a few seeds in the ground, you're only going to get a little fruit, right? I can't expect fruit to come from seeds I didn't plant. Okay. Does that make sense? I hope it should, because it's just makes it, that's just obvious. Uh, if I was just standing at a plot of ground and just staring at it and saying, where's the apple tree that I, that I expect to come out of this plot of ground, but I never planted an apple seed there. And you would think I was crazy. And Paul is just naming this obvious reality. Those who sow sparingly, those who only put a few seeds in the ground, will only see a few plants come up. And from those plants, will only be able to gather a little bit of seed. But the ones who put a lot of seeds in the ground can expect a lot of fruit to come out of those seeds. Now, why is he talking about that? What is this language about seeds and uh, about sowing and reaping, about seeds and harvest? Well, hello, this is what giving is. Uh, and this, by the way, this obvious reality, this isn't, I've heard it called a law of the kingdom. Guys, it's law in the world. I mean, that's just, this is just how the world works. The more you plant, the more you harvest, that's it. And in Gen in, in Galatians chapter six, Paul uh, brings this idea out for a completely different kind of conversation. Um, he says, God will not be mocked. Those who, those who, uh, you, you will sow, you will reap what you sow, what you have planted in the world. And there he's talking about behavior. He's talking about attitudes. He says, if you sow to the flesh, you will reap destruction. If you sow to the spiritual relief, you will reap life and freedom. And, and so he's saying, you, you need to know what you're putting out into the world. What are you planting in the world? Because that's what you're going to get back. If you put an apple seed in the ground, you don't expect a lemon tree to grow out. Um, and and these this is a simple way of thinking, but he's taking it and he's saying it's true in the physical and it's true in the spiritual. It's true in the natural and it's true in the supernatural. Now, honestly, we split up the natural. I have a lot to think about and a lot to say about uh, this 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 the the separation of the natural and the supernatural uh we really shouldn't think of them as two separate things as if they exist separate from each other they exist on a continuum uh i i would i'd like to think of it more as a spectrum than than as two separate things uh because everything that that exists in the natural um affects the supernatural and everything that if exists in the supernatural affects the natural. There is this deep connectedness between what we can see and what we cannot see. There is a deep connectedness 
uh, an unfolding between what what is what is you know material like this pen you know I can feel it I can touch it I can pick it up there is a there is there's a deep connection between the 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 natural world but see again I, it isn't natural and supernatural it's all natural everything's natural the supernatural is natural but we can't see the supernatural with our eyes we don't experience it with our eyes and with our fingers and so we think of the of that world the spiritual world as being a separate world but it is not a separate world and the teachings of Jesus require us to understand that this is true the teachings of Jesus require us to live in the physical world expecting spiritual results and to live in the spiritual world expecting physical results that these two realities are deeply interconnected overlapping and interlocking as as uh, as nt wright likes to say uh the the that these the, yes they they are different kinds of realities but that they are deeply interconnected with each other, that they touch one another, they affect one another, that the things that we do, like when Jesus talks about prayer and he says, go into your closet where no one can see you. And the God who sees what is done, uh, the, the God who sees what is done in secret will bless you in public. So see, this is, it is the same kind of idea. We, we exist in the spiritual world and the things that we do in in the physical world have fruit both in the physical and in the and in the non-physical world and the things that we do in the non-physical world such as prayer such as worship such as spiritual warfare such as kindness gentleness patience goodness etc bears fruit both in the spiritual realm and in the physical realm and when we when we separate these out, we're, we're headed for trouble. That is what's called the Gnostic heresy. Um, and uh, and the church was fighting against it. The early church especially was fighting against it uh, for years and years and years. The Gnostic heresy was kind of the the central problem of the New Testament church. The the well, there was kind of two. There was the Judaizers, and there was the Gnostics. Um, these were the two heresies that Paul and the writers of the New Testament were always warring against. And, and the Gnostic idea is the idea that the, that, that the spirit realm is one thing and the physical realm is another, and that the spirit realm is good and the physical realm is bad. And, and the, the New Testament wars against that idea. It tries to tear down the walls between the spirit and the physical realms and say these are one thing, one reality, and the things that you do in one radically affect the things that happen in the other. And we have to live in that place. We have to live in that space, in that, in that reality. And we have to think about the things that we do on the inside of us affecting what happens on the outside and the things that we do on the outside of us affecting what happens on the inside. I hope all of that made sense. <laughs> that This continuum of reality that we exist in is both spiritual and physical all the time. And that the way that we inhabit the spiritual and the physical world 
is one way. We can't be one way in the spirit and another way in the physical. We can't be one way in the physical and another way in the spirit. The, the, the kinds of things that the Gnostic heresy led people to do was to say stuff like, because Jesus saved me in the spirit realm, what I do with my body doesn't matter. So I can just have sex with anything and anyone because my body doesn't matter. It's just a physical activity and it doesn't matter in the spirit realm because I'm not a physical being. I'm a spiritual being. So uh, I can behave however I want in the spirit, in the physical realm because it doesn't affect my spirituality. And Paul and the New Testament authors are going, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's not how it works. And you can't, you can't think that way. Everything we do in the physical realm affects the spiritual realm. And everything we do in the spiritual realm affects the spirit, the physical realm. That is how it works. And giving is the same. Giving is really important. The way that we live our lives, the things that we do and say are really important. They really matter. They are eternal choices. All of the choices we make are eternal choices. That's why Jesus said things like, the things that you say in secret are going to be shouted from the mountaintops. Understand, there is no place, there's no part of our lives that doesn't affect the rest of our lives. Every part of us affects every other part. We live one life, one. And that whole life is all one piece. And we can talk about those individual pieces, you know, these these uh, these components, these dimensions of our lives. You know, um, I've been talking about a six-dimensional uh, human life, which is, when I say that, I'm not talking about mathematical space-time dimensions. I'm talking about the six aspects, the six facets of the diamond that is a human being, the six, the six dimensions of human existence and reality, you know, so physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, financial, and social. These are the six dimensions uh, that, that we've been talking about at Fremont Community Church, that, that, that these, God has called us to live, uh, to follow Jesus in all six of those dimensions. You know, that's, that is, that is, the call of the Christian life to exist and to, to be a disciple of Jesus in all six of those dimensions. And giving is a huge part of that. So the way we live our lives really matters. And Jesus teaching, Jesus is teaching us and empowering us to live the whole of our life in a different way, in a way the world isn't living. Jesus is teaching us to live in the world in such a way that we will reap what we want to reap. If we look at our life as a field, we need to plant the seed in that field that we want to see come up. Okay? If I want a harvest of wheat, I need to plant wheat because that is the that is what I will harvest. It will multiply. I need to put into my life the things I want to get out of my life. In all those dimensions of my life, I need to put into my life what I want to get out of my life. And to think, to think that we can put in garbage and get out good 
is foolishness, and it's contrary to the teaching of Jesus. Jesus says, if you want an eternal life, you need to invest eternal investment. This is, the, I mean, this stuff is the core. And if we want love, we have to love. If we want to be forgiven, we have to forgive. Blessed are the merciful, they shall receive mercy. I hope everybody's tracking. The golden rule. I've been thinking a lot about the golden rule, especially this morning in my in my time of prayer. This was just living there. I, I, I there's going to be, but you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. What is that? That is, you will reap what you sow. That's what it is. That's the core principle. You will get back what you put out in the world. And I've been thinking about that so much. There's a lot. I'm, I'm not going to get lost on that tangent because that is a tangent. It's a tangent and a half <laughs> of the golden rule right now because it's just been burning in my heart and in my mind now for for a while um the the glory of that of of that rule of that way of understanding the world that both Jesus and Paul are trying to teach us here in this text and in the sermon on the mount paul is saying uh is 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 talking here uh out of what he said in the last chapter. So in the last chapter, he also says, which I loved this, he says, um, that in the Christian life, when we have extra, we invest it in the body, we invest it in others, and when we have need, they invest in us. Okay, so, so there's this reciprocal, like, relationship where uh, when... When I having when I have more than enough, I give that more than enough to someone else who's in need, and then there will come a day down the road when I won't have enough, and they'll be able to turn around and invest that back and invest their extra in me. Then, okay, and um, and and Paul is talking about that, and he's saying, hey, here's the deal: uh, if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. Nobody's going to forget what you gave. And if you give generously now, when when it comes around and you know it's going to come around, that you have need, they're going to be a lot more likely to give generously back. That might sound selfish, but it just makes sense. So many times and in so many ways, I have seen people in the body of Christ have this high level of expectation about their church, what their church is supposed to be doing for them what the rest of the body of Christ is supposed to be doing for them, but they've never invested anything in the body themselves. They expect the body to come around them and to, and to invest in them, to meet them in their place of need. But when they aren't in a place of need, they aren't showing up. They aren't investing. How many times, how many times did I have parents bring kids to me when I was a teen, when I was a, when I was a youth pastor, how many times did I have parents bring kids to me that were in crisis? You know, they're, they're suicidal or they are, um, uh, they are, uh, you know, doing drugs or, or they're having sex outside of marriage, you know, the, and, and, and the parents bring their kids to me and they're like, fix them, right? 
you're a youth pastor, fix them. And almost always, these are kids who had never shown up in my youth group. And their parents hardly ever came to church. But now they're coming to me asking me to fix them. Well, you've been, you have been, you've never sown any good seed in this kid's life. Why are you surprised at the harvest? You've never planted anything good in them. Why do you, what, why are you surprised that nothing good is coming out? And I kind of wanted to look at them and say, you know, if they had been coming to youth group every year for the last four years, this is not the way their life would look. Now, I was never mean like that. I always responded and tried to minister to that kid. But how much do you expect us to be able to do when you've not laid the groundwork for anything good to happen in this young person's life? And I would say that to all of us. You know, we, we have these high expectations of what we want God to do for us, but we're not sowing seed into our life that that's going to reap a beautiful harvest. Are we praying? Are we reading our Bibles? Are we spending time intentionally investing in our relationship with Jesus? And then bad things happen. We aren't living the life that we want to live. We aren't seeing the the fruit that we want to see. We aren't, you know, I mean that that all of that and yet here we are upset that the harvest that we're reaping is, is not what we thought it would be. Now, yes, there are absolutely times and days where I have invested generously for years and the harvest I'm getting is garbage. That happens sometimes. I have invested the best I know how, and I have yet to see a good harvest come. Um, that's where we, that's where we need faith. That's where we have to say, Lord, <laughs> I have done what I know to do. Please, I need to see a harvest on this. And Lord, I, Lord knows I've prayed that prayer many, many times. Um, but for the most part, we, we are most of the time reaping exactly what we had sown. Most of the time, that's what's happening. We are reaping what we sowed. And the only person that we can be mad at is ourselves. Uh, because we sowed sparingly and now we're reaping sparingly. And the only thing I can say to you is get, get to sowing. Start sowing now. Start putting, start investing in the kingdom. Um, in, in one of the sermons that I preached on this, uh, I saw where Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And for a long time, in my life, I have believed um, when I read that, that Jesus was saying uh, that, that, that Jesus was, was saying that um, my, that where my heart is, is, a, is, you know, that I, my, I'm having trouble bringing this up. I'm sorry, but, for a long time, I understood it backwards. I understood Jesus as as using this as a diagnostic. Where's your uh, uh, Where's your heart? Oh, that's because your treasure was there. So, so that was showing me where my treasure was. Um, and yeah, it works that way. So, so that if my heart's not in it, it's because uh, my treasure's in the wrong place. I have wrong values, and I need to change what I consider to be important, so that 
my heart will be long will be where it belongs in Christ. Um, that, but I'm beginning to see this differently, and I'm beginning to see that what Jesus was doing was inviting us into a practice that shifts the focus of our heart, so that as we give, it moves our heart. Giving is something I can do. Investment in the kingdom is something I can do with my hands. I can do it whether I feel like it or not. I can do it whether my heart is in it or not. I can turn and I can invest. I can do that today. I can do that right now. And Jesus says, as you do that, the more you do that, the more your heart will shift and the th- and you will begin to value the thing you've been investing in. And I, and I had never seen it that way. And it's been such a powerful picture for me these last few, uh, these last few weeks, because, uh, I know that that's true. I really do care about the things that I've invested in. I have interest in them and I care about them. And, and if I want to, so, so now I know if I want to start caring about something, if I realize I don't care enough about X, Y, or Z, and I want to begin caring about caring about that, that I need to start investing in it. I need to start giving toward it. And when I do, it'll change the way I feel about it. And I think that's awesome. Um, so Paul is Paul is saying, you know, if if you know you're gonna be in need at some day in the future, at some point in the future. You need to make investments now <laughs> so that when you're in need, the people you helped in the past can turn around and help you. They're much more likely to do so in the future. Verse 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I love this verse. This verse is radically important. If we want to understand what giving looks like in the New Testament era, that's the era that we're in. If we want to understand that, this verse is so helpful, this one and the next one. Um, Because here's what it says. It says, this is what giving should look like, friends. It should be careful. It should be considered. It should be cheerful. It should not come from compulsion, and it should not be done reluctantly. Okay, let's walk through those one by one. It should be careful. What do I mean by that, careful? I mean, you should spend time paying attention. Take care about what you give. It should be important enough to you. This is the resource God's put in your hands. This is an important thing. Take care. Okay? Dial up the awareness on this. Pay attention. Take care. Christian giving should be careful. Shouldn't be haphazard. Shouldn't be, oh, I've got $2 in my pocket. I'm just going to throw it in. No. It should be careful. And it should be considered. What do I mean by that? It means think about it. Spend time in prayer and in thought. What do I want to do? How often do I want to give? What should this part of my life look like? 
Don't do this without careful consideration. Take care. Give it thought. Okay? And it should be cheerful. Okay? This should be something that you're doing because you want to do it. Cheerful. You should be excited about it. I love giving. I love doing this. It should be cheerful. God loves a cheerful giver. And he says, not under compulsion. And this one is huge. This one is so massive and so important. And we got to zoom in. Okay. We got to zoom in on this one. Not under compulsion. Please hear me. What's compulsion? Compulsion means undue pressure or influence. Okay. You should not give because you feel guilty. You should not give because that preacher preached really good that day. You should not give because you feel embarrassed uh, if you don't give. None of those things are, are, are part of this. Any kind of guilt, any kind of pressure, any kind of like, uh, gosh, I was in a, I'm not going to say who it was because he's still out there. I was in a service where I literally heard, oh my gosh, this upset me so much. I actually got up and walked out. Um, this minister get up and say, this is what he said. Ooh, I just, ugh, blech. he got up and said, listen to the prophet. This is what he said. I was in the service and this was so gross. Listen to the prophet. What you consider generosity is not enough. And you need to give an offering that is painful for you right now. Pull out your checkbook right now. This minute, pull out your checkbook, pull out your wallet, pull out your credit card. Give a gift that is difficult for you to give, a sacrificial gift. Now, is our giving supposed to be sacrificial? Yes, it is supposed to be sacrificial, but not the way he was using it. Not like he was using it. And I was so upset. And I and I had a friend, a young Christian, just just uh just barely um started following the Lord, who literally signed over his whole paycheck. He had his paycheck in his pocket, and he was in that service and he signed over his whole paycheck to the to this ministry. And boy, I was so angry. Not because of my friend's generosity, and the Lord blessed him. Okay, so he was okay. Uh, but because of the manipulativeness of this preacher, I wanted to walk up on stage and take his microphone away and say, sit down. That's what I wanted to do because that, that, ooh, that made me so upset. <laughs> Everybody in that room that gave in that offering was giving under compulsion. Everyone. I refused to give. I refused. I was like, nope. No, I know what 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says. It says, not under compulsion. Now, we need to know the difference between the conviction of the Holy Spirit and compulsion. Okay, we do. Because there are times when the Lord is going to speak to you and he's going to say, I want you to do this. And sometimes you'll do it with a little bit of fear and trembling because it's like, I'm not sure I can afford this. That's fine. That's okay. 
if it was the voice of the spirit and not the voice of some human being on TV or even at your church, by the way, Fremont Community Church, ain't nobody like that ever going to be on our stage. You know that right now. And if that did happen, I would walk up and take the microphone away and said, sit down and you're never coming back to this church. Because no, that is not how we operate. No. Giving should not be uh, done under compulsion. should be done as the Spirit leads, with careful consideration and from a cheerful heart. Right? And not reluctantly. Um, if you're not ready to give a gift, don't give it. Period. God doesn't need your money. How many times... How many times do I have to say this? Giving is not because God is broke, because God is not broke. God can make gold appear out of nowhere. He's, he told us in the Psalms, all the gold is mine. All the diamonds are mine. It's all mine. You don't need to worry about me. He tells us there, he tells us there, if I needed something, I wouldn't ask you. If I was hungry, I wouldn't come to you. You're not feeding me. I, it's all mine anyway. Right? So if you're not ready to give, don't give a gift, don't give it. What God wants are cheerful givers who joyfully bring the offering that they have prayed over and happily give it to the hands of the Lord because they understand the truth, which is verse 8 that God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I am gladly giving, not because I feel like I have to, but because I want to. Because I am sowing seed that I know will come up, in uh, that, that I know I will harvest. I love that. That's what I'm doing. I am here. I'm giving not because, not because I feel guilty. I'm giving because I'm going to sow seed into the soil of the kingdom. And I know, and I, I am excited about the harvest that will come in. I'm excited about that. And I love it. Let's do it. Isn't this great? I'm so excited. Let's go. I'm, I am sowing seed that I know I will reap in the future. And I'm excited about that. Boy, we are already almost done. <laughs> this time has flown for me. I want to just run through quickly in the next five minutes this rule of sowing and reaping. It is the truth. And God pours mercy on it. See, here's the thing. Sow sparingly, reap sparingly. Sow abundantly and reap abundantly. But what God promises is that when we sow abundantly, he will multiply what we gave. that God will pour his blessing on a generous gift, a gift that's given with careful consideration and a cheerful heart that God will bless it because he will bless it abundantly. And so check it out so that in all things, at all times, having all that we need, we will abound in every good work. God is able to bless us abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that we need, we will abound in every good work. What does that mean? Let's break it down. We're, at, we're almost out of time, but let's break it down. Okay. This is how resource works in the kingdoms, in the kingdom. All resource that comes in to our lives 
It comes in when it should. It comes in how it should. It comes in as much as it should. And it comes in for the purpose that it should. When God is blessing, he will bless at exactly the right time. He will bless with the exact right amount. He will bless uh, um, in the exact right way. It'll come through the right channel. Okay. And it will be used for the thing that it needs to be used for. It won't be frittered out. In, in Okay. The, the blessing of God has real purpose behind it. Real power. There is, I, I have in my notes, there is a Gandalfness in the way God blesses. You know, Gandalf says, a wizard is never early, nor is he late. He arrives precisely when he means to. This is how God works all the time in a lot of things. God's going to show up. That's his promise. But he's going to show up the way that he should, the time that he should, with as much as he should, and for the purpose that he should. Because what he's interested in is he is not that you're... Uh, He's, he's not interested in what's in your bank account. He's interested in that your needs are met. Now, for us, we like to put those two things together. Well, aren't they the same thing? No, they're not. They're not the same thing. Those are two different things. All right, we're going to stop there at verse 8. I thought we'd get a lot further than that. <laughs> Sorry. And we'll finish the chapter next time. Um, but this is just such great stuff. I love this so much. And I hope you've enjoyed our time together tonight. Let us pray, shall we? Oh, glorious, beautiful, heavenly, wonderful. Father, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. You are so good. Lord, I pray that as we continue to do what you've called us to do, Lord, I pray that we would learn to live in the reality, that we would learn to live in the reality that what we sow, we will also reap. I pray that we would, that we would recognize that. And that we would think, that we would live our lives not out of the sowing, but out of the reaping. That we would live our lives in expectation of what's going to come as we invest. That we wouldn't be so focused on what we're investing, but on the reaping that is to come. Lord, I pray you would help us to do that. In Jesus' beautiful name, amen and amen. I love you, friends. God bless you. Have an amazing week. I will see you next time.